Boys and girls, we're really glad to have you in with us today. Once a month, we have our boys and girls in with us. I'm glad you're here, partly because over the years, some of you, if you've been at Gateway for very long, and for others of you, your little brothers and sisters who may be back in the preschool area, you will occasionally come to your parents and ask really remarkable questions. And by the way, I'm not going to answer any of these questions today. I just want to give you an idea of the kinds of questions that you guys have asked over the years. Were there dinosaurs on the ark, right? Why did God make people? Which, about certain people, I have that question myself. What does God look like? Where does God live? Why can't I see God? I think kids ask these questions because we all have in us a natural and innate sense of worship, a sense of curiosity. We were made to be religious. I think we were made to worship. God made us that way. And in the passage we'll read today, Jesus tells us how to do it, how to worship. Now, if you miss everything else, don't miss this summary statement. It all boils down to this. For us, worship is real, it's simple, and it's intimate. It's not showy, and it's not hypocritical. This tends to be the thing, or a thing, that people that go to a church like Gateway get pretty right. When we come to a church like Gateway, often you guys, you woke up this morning and you got dressed up to come today because it was real. You wanted to hear something or experience something. You wanted to express something that was real in, in your heart, and you're really after something. It's not just for show. In fact, it occurred to me, as I was listening to Jesus this week, that the person who might be the most in danger today is me. Because once a week I stand up and do what my wife calls my book report, and I kind of get up and perform a little bit for you. And I try not to think about it that way, but that's a feature of this, if we're honest. Well, for us, it's real it's simple and it's intimate. It's not showy and it's not hypocritical. Okay, that's the baseline. Now let's hear what Jesus says. We're going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. And this is a really awesome passage of Scripture. It's from Jesus' famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you will be familiar with this teaching. Matthew 6, 1 through 18 and boys and girls, you need to know that we believe that the Bible was extraordinary and is extraordinary, extraordinarily written. It was inspired in a very special way by God, and every word of it is true. So often when we're here on Sunday mornings, when your adults are in here and we're doing this on Sunday morning, we'll stand up when we read the Bible. And I'll say something like, let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word, and all of your parents stand up, so let's go. Matthew 6, 1 through 18, and I'm going to read off of the screen. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. We're going to have to talk about this reward business in a few minutes. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Now as we walk through this, there are going to be three main things that we've got to capture that are at the heart of what Jesus says, and you'll kind of hear them as we go through. Uh, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. 
But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full already. But when you pray, go into your room, go into your secret place, go into your closet, some translations say. Close the door and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. And then we get the model prayer. We're not going to have time to go over this very much this morning. That's for another week. But Jesus then gives us a model prayer. I'm going to refer to this later in a minute. He actually gives us a formula. This then is how you should pray. Let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we... For- given our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And parents, I would encourage you to help your boys and girls know this prayer. Because it's, it's great to have that in our hearts and minds. It also can become a good guide rail, a, a model for how we should pray. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We're not going to have time to talk about this section today, but let's just note, forgiveness is a big deal to God. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full already. But when you fast, Put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You may be seated. All right, Jesus' topic in this part of the sermon is still righteousness. And if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, you will remember that's been our topic all along, righteousness. And when Jesus used the word righteousness, he meant being a good person with good actions who's also rightly related to God. Righteousness in Jesus' vernacular means being a good person who does good things, but who's also rightly related to God. Well, that's still the topic here. He says, when you practice your righteousness, this is how you should do it. And in this part of the sermon, he's focusing on religious devotion or worship. In the previous section, he focused on kindness and purity, honesty and love, But here, he's focusing on worship. That in itself is kind of interesting, isn't it? In Jesus' mind, righteousness includes both being a good person toward your fellow human being as well as worshiping God in the right way. Righteousness is not just doing good things. Righteousness is also worshiping God in the right way. I think it's also interesting that his first topic on the subject of how to worship was giving to the needy. His second topic was prayer. His third topic was fasting. His primary concern in each case seems to be that we not be showy or hypocritical with our religion. We should be real. We should be simple. And our religion should be about being intimate with God. That's the purpose of it. In summary, here's how Jesus thought about it. We can either give to the needy with other people as our audience, or we can give to the needy 
for an audience of one. We can pray in a way that's meant to show other people how spiritual we are, or we can pray in a way that creates depth and intimacy with God. And we can fast in a way that impresses others with our earnestness and our devotion, or we can fast in a way that builds our own self-discipline and our connection with God. We can do it for show, or we can do it for real. And Jesus wants us to do it for real. All right. Three things that we should make sure we understand about what Jesus is teaching us in this passage. Number one, Jesus assumes that we will give, pray, and fast. Jesus assumes that we will give, pray, and fast. Have you ever wondered what it should look like for someone to be a faithful follower of Christ? Well, at least in part, it looks like giving and praying and fasting. Parents, have you ever wondered what you should teach your children about what it looks like to be a Christian or how to be a Christian? Well, at least part of what you teach them is to give, pray, and fast. Now look, Jesus was into freedom. The way he talked about God, the way he practiced his faith, and the, the religion that he passed on to us, it's not about rules and regulations. It is about freedom. In fact, so much so that Christianity has been called the religionless religion. Sometimes on Sunday mornings here at Gateway, I'll say something like, Christianity is not about religion. It's about a relationship with God. And that's true to a point. But Jesus knows that we're curious. He knows that we were made to worship. He knows from the very earliest ages, we look at our parents and we say, what does God look like? He knows we were made for religion. That's why he assumes these activities. When you give to the needy, he says. When you pray and when you fast, in verses 2, 5, and 16, assuming those activities are part of what it means to be righteous. His concern was directed at how we perform these activities. During Jesus' time, some of the religious leaders, when they gave to the needy, They were blowing trumpets to draw attention to themselves. Some scholars have suggested that this should be taken literally, as if certain wealthy Jews might have announced their offering with fanfare, supposedly as a way of informing poor people that they're doing this. So, da-da-da-da, Dr. Allen is walking down the street and and he's going to be giving alms to the poor. Da-da-da-da, all of you poor people who would like to collect alms, come gather at the street corner. Da-da-da-da. And then I would come behind. That may have been the reason for the trumpets. But others have suggested this wasn't a real practice, that that Jesus was just intentionally exaggerating to make his point here. Either way, we understand what he means. Jesus' point is we are not to be showy about our religion. The point of our religion is not to get credit from others or to make ourselves look good. The point of our religion is to build a close relationship with God. That's why we do this. That's why we sing these songs. That's why we pray. That's why we we have this meal. That's why we come in here. But for us, it's kind of different, isn't it? It's different from what it was like in Jesus' day. In our culture, we don't get much credit for being super religious. In fact, sometimes we try to hide how religious we are because our culture thinks it's weird. For us, it's important that we remember that Jesus assumed that we would practice these activities. He assumed we would give to the needy. Wait a minute, Ed. Look, we're a young family, and we just bought a town home, and we've got a kid and another one on the way, and we can't give right now. Jesus assumed that we would be giving to the needy. 
There's no parentheses after that. Wait a minute, Ed. Do you know what my commute is like? I don't have time to pray. I mean, I always pray. You know, when things go off the rails, I always pray. God always has my attention, but I, I don't have time. Jesus assumed that we would be engaged in these activities, and there's no parentheses. Wait a minute, Ed. Fasting is kind of strange. I mean, I do that intermittent fasting thing because it's good for the diet, but fasting for religious reasons, that's just weird. I don't even know how to do it. Jesus assumed that we would be engaged in these activities. He knows us. He knows we were made to worship. He knows our spiritual curiosity. He knows what we need in order to express our righteousness and in order to help us grow in righteousness. And so he assumes we will engage in these activities because they are an essential part of relating to God. So we're left with some questions. Are you feeling disconnected from God? Well, the first questions for ourselves might be, what's your giving quotient? How's your prayer life? When was the last time you fasted? Are you feeling listless? Are you feeling purposeless? You have lost the narrative of where your life is going. Well, how's your giving quotient? How's your prayer life? When was the last time you fasted and sought him? Are you feeling overwhelmed with anxiety? You're blistered by worry. Well, what's your giving quotient? How's your prayer life? When was the last time you sought him earnestly and fasted? Jesus knows that we need these activities, so he assumes them as a part of the formula for righteousness. All right, the second thing we need to make sure we get from Jesus' teaching, and this is the main point, Jesus draws a clear distinction between hypocrites and those who follow his teaching. Again, this is really the main thrust, right? He draws a clear distinction, two categories, hypocrites and those who follow his teaching. Those who follow Jesus' teaching are not hypocrites. For Christians, this stuff that we do here on Sunday morning, it's real. You know, we don't always come in and feel so electric with our religion, but it's real, and it's simple, and it's intimate. It's not a show, and it's not seeking credit. You know, in Jesus' day, the word hypocrite, by the way, comes from the Greek word hypocrite, and it was virtually a synonym for actor. They would literally, in Jesus' day, in the centuries before Jesus, they would wear masks on stage that were, the word related to hypocrite, and they would perform a part in a theater on the stage. These were the hypocrites. This is the background for this word that's used negatively here. Look, if you're part of Gateway, you know this. Occasionally on a Sunday morning, I'll say something like, welcome, if you're visiting with us, you need to know something about us. We're a bunch of people who say one thing and do another. We're a bunch of hypocrites here, but God loves us anyway, something like that. And I say that because at a superficial level, that's really true. We are people who say one thing and do another. We don't get it exactly right. Plus, I say it to make sure we don't take ourselves too seriously. But let's acknowledge that at a deeper level, at a fundamental level, this is really not true. This is not who we really are. This is not how God sees us. He's not looking at us wondering if we get everything exactly right. He's looking at our hearts wondering if it's real. So for Christians, when we give, for instance, it should be so real and so intimate with God that our right hand doesn't know what our left hand is doing. For you, it's this, 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 and this, I guess. Now, at first reading, this is kind of confusing. 
I mean, it's, it's actually impossible. My wife Diane and I, we decide, year by year, we decide what we're going to give each month to Gateway. And whenever we find out about a particular need in our family or one of you or someone who's related to one of you or someone who's going to do some ministry, we find out a particular need. We decide if we're going to give and what we're going to give, and that's how it should work. And in that case, not only does my right hand know what my left hand is doing, my wife's right hand and left hand know what my right hand are doing. So what is Jesus talking about? I've always thought that Jesus was exaggerating for effect here. He was saying it should just be really, really secret. But I think he's actually suggesting something real and something pretty specific with this hand not knowing what the other hand is doing thing. It's almost as if Jesus knows there are three possibilities in how we approach giving. Get this if you can. One, we can give in a way that seeks the applause of others. That much is obvious. Two, we can give in a way that is self-congratulatory. We just feel really good about ourselves, and that's part of what drives us to do it. Or three, we can give in, in the right way. We can give in a way that pleases God and only seeks to please God. We can give so that we don't even congratulate ourselves for it. We don't keep score at all. Obviously, Jesus is advocating the last one. And then concerning prayer, he hits the same theme, right? Don't pray loud, elaborate prayers meant to show people how spiritual you are. Instead, pray prayers offered in secret, Jesus says. Now, we can overreact to this when we read this bit about praying in secret because the Bible is full of public prayers on many different kinds of occasions. Jesus is certainly not prohibiting public prayer here. His intention is to address the heart of prayer. Prayer is not a religious duty, and it's not a performance. It's a conversation with God. It's intimate, and it's real. Ironically, sometimes I think we have the problem that Jesus is addressing here, but coming from the opposite direction. Here's what I mean. Sometimes we don't want to pray in public because we don't think we'll get it exactly right. Sometimes we're afraid we won't sound religious enough or we're afraid we won't know the right things to say. We have exactly the spirit about ironically praying in public. I think Jesus would tell us, just say what's on your heart. Imagine you're alone with me in a, in a secret room. You don't care what you say, right? You're just telling me what's on your mind. Well, that's what prayer is, so do that. He adds one other thing about prayer. He says, Don't let it be with many words. Don't babble. Don't go on and on. It's not necessary. In fact, prayer is not even about getting the words exactly right. God already knows anyway. Prayer is about offering our heart to Him. Interestingly, this is one of the reasons that Protestants over the centuries, especially early Protestantism, rejected not only the form of the Catholic Mass, but the the language of it as well. They believed with some justification that the language of the Mass had become dead babbling words. Now, this doesn't mean that form prayers are wrong. Some of us who were formerly Catholic have rejected our Catholicism outright, and we may have gone overboard in our rejection of it and of form prayers. I mean, Jesus actually gives us a form prayer here, right? The point is that prayer is an intimate conversation. It's communication with our trusted friend, Heavenly Father, he says. Prayer is not an elaborate performance of fine-sounding words. It's an expression of our heart. That's what the secret room symbolizes. 
Now notice what he offers as a model for us real quickly. He says it's simple and it's straightforward and it's intimate. Our Father in heaven. And then the model prayer acknowledges God and it rightly orders our relationship with him. Holy is your name, because I'm not. And then it asks for our needs to be met. Give us today our daily bread. And then it asks for emotional and spiritual accounts to be cleared up. Forgive me as I forgive others. And then it asks for spiritual protection. Don't let me be tempted and deliver me from the evil one. And that's it. It's over. Some use their religion as a kind of performance to get credit. But Jesus' followers express their devotion in a way that's real and simple and intimate. Third thing we got to get about what Jesus teaches us here is that if we practice our religion according to Jesus' teaching, we will be rewarded by God. It's a big one and it's an odd one. Give me a minute. Our Father who sees what we give in secret will reward us now. It doesn't say anything about heaven now, but also in the life after life. Our Father, who knows what we pray in secret, will reward us. Our Father, who sees how we fast in secret, will reward us. Now let me say a word first about fasting, and then we'll talk about the reward business. Back to point number one. Remember, Jesus assumes that we'll be doing this. Fasting, as you may know, means to go without food for a period of time, for a day or two or a week or, or longer. In my own life, I've also expanded the concept of fasting to include times when I fast from things other than food, like television or, or all media, or from talking for a day or two or a week or more. In fact, for years when our men were in late elementary school and middle school and high school, most years during the Lenten season, 40 days leading up to Easter, we would fast from television, and our boys just look forward to that every year. Again, Jesus assumes that we will practice these religious activities, including fasting. He knows that this is part of what it looks like to be righteous. Think of it this way. Our giving is a way of expressing our righteousness toward others. Our prayers are a way of expressing our righteousness toward God. And our fasting is a way of rightly ordering and disciplining our own lives so that we may be even more devoted to God. These practices were well-established and applauded in the time of Jesus. So the temptation was to milk all of the credit out of it that they could. Let me blow my own horn, or let me make this loud enough so that everyone can hear, or let me dress up in a way that makes it abundantly clear that I'm doing something super spiritual, and, you know, I want to get maximum credit, maximum social credit for this. It may be that the reason that we don't fast more and pray more or fast at all is precisely because our culture doesn't credit these things much anymore at all. On the surface of things, it seems like we're a lot better at this than Jesus' original audience because we don't really think of doing our religion as a performance. But this might be because it wouldn't matter. You don't get any credit for that performance anymore. In fact, I know in my own life, when I really engage in being super spiritual, I kind of want people to know. I want Diane to know. I, I want you to know. So there is buried in my chest a little hypocrite who operates exactly the same way as Jesus' first audience, and there may be a little hypocrite in your chest as well. So when I fast, I'd like people to know about it because it's hard and I want credit for it. I want people to say, wow, that Ed, he's awesome. 
But when I get that kind of credit, listen, Jesus reminds me, then I've got all the reward I'll ever get. I've sucked all of the spiritual good out of it, and I've traded the real spiritual good for something much cheaper, a really cheaper kind of reward. Jesus reminds me that when I practice my giving and my praying and my fasting in the way he prescribes, then I will be rewarded by God. All right. Now, this is an awkward idea, the idea of being rewarded by God. I want to tell you why, and I want to give you a response to that. I'm going to read, if I can, this morning. Let me threaten to be boring, but this is really good stuff. Pastor, author, scholar John Stott wrote about this in a little commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, and he just has this awesome thing to say about reward, and he quotes the author C.S. Lewis. After the 9 o'clock service, I had a couple of people come to me and say, what? So, follow this if you can, and then ruminate on it later. This is what Stott says. Some people rebel against this teaching of Jesus. They neither want nor expect a reward of any kind from anybody, they say. More than that, they find in our Lord's promise of a reward an inherent inconsistency. How can he forbid the desire for praise from others, and even from ourselves, and then command us to seek it from God? Surely, they say, this merely exchanges one form of vanity for another. Should we not rather give purely for the sake of giving? To seek praise from any quarter, from man's self or God, seems to them to vitiate the act of giving. The first reason why such arguments are mistaken has to do with the nature of the rewards. When people say that the idea of rewards is distasteful to them, I always suspect that the picture in their mind is like prize giving at school with silver trophies gleaming on the platform table and everyone clapping. The conjuring up of this kind of scene may be due to the old King James words that they shall reward thee openly. And Stott reminds us this adverb, openly, should be omitted, however. It's not in the original. And the contrast is not between a secret gift and a public reward, but between the men who neither see nor reward the gift and the God who does both. Here's the heart of it. C.S. Lewis wisely wrote in an essay entitled The Weight of Glory. Follow this if we can. This is C.S. Lewis quote. We must not be troubled by unbelievers when they say that this promise of reward makes the Christian life a mercenary affair. There are different kinds of reward, he says. There is the reward which has no natural connection with the things you do to earn it and is quite foreign to the desires that ought to accompany those things. He gives an example. Money is not the natural reward for love. That is why we call a man mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of her money. That's an inappropriate reward, and it is mercenary. It goes on, but marriage is the proper reward for real love, and he is not mercenary for desiring it. So if I marry for the reward of love, mercenary. If I love with the reward being marriage, not mercenary. It, in fact, complements and completes the act of love. 
Similarly, we might say that a silver cup is not a very suitable award for a schoolboy who works hard, whereas a scholarship at the university would be. C.S. Lewis concludes his argument. The proper awards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. If we practice our religion, according to Jesus' teaching, we will be rewarded by God. That means when we give to the needy, we will do so joyfully knowing that we are meeting needs in Jesus' name joyfully knowing that God is being bragged about because of our gifts. We will not give to receive applause from any person or even to be able to congratulate ourselves. We will give and God will reward us in exactly the way that our heart is most satisfied now and in life after life. That means when we pray, we will pray simply and genuinely in a way that honors God and that creates deeper connection between ourselves and God, which is itself a reward. We will not worry about what anyone might think of our prayers. Instead, we will be confident that God hears us, that He knows our need, and that He will answer us, a reward in and of itself, according to our need and according to His plan. And when we fast, we will not try to appear spiritual. We're not interested in the appearance of spirituality, that's so enamored in our culture today, we will fast joyfully, enjoying the increased discipline and focus that fasting affords us. And we will sing songs on Sunday morning in the same way. We will gather on Sunday morning with the same spirit. And we will participate in communion with exactly the same heart and exactly the same spirit. For us, worship is real. And it's simple, and it's intimate. It's not showy, and it's not hypocritical. And that is the kind of righteousness that God rewards. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning genuinely. Uh, we come simply, and we come seeking intimacy with you. I ask that you would forgive us any of the showiness if we're trying to produce for our friends or for our spouse or even for our children, if we're trying to perform, if, if we're trying to get it right, Lord, I pray that today will have been a reminder that it's just us and you in a secret room, genuinely, uh, intimately in conversation with one another. Hear us this morning. And Lord, hear us together as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing this chorus together. My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less. Come on, choir. Than Jesus' blood and righteousness. All right, hold on. 
check that lyric out. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's do it again. All right, choir. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only trust in Jesus. Father, you're in heaven, but we are persuaded that you are here with us as well. You're everywhere, and we can't outrun you, and we can't suffer beyond you, and we can't worry beyond where you are. So this morning, we recommit ourselves to the real, intimate, simple practice of giving and praying and fasting. We offer ourselves to you, Lord. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray, and all God's people said. Thanks for coming. You guys may go in peace. Have a great week.